So our scripture reading this afternoon comes to us from 1 Peter in chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll read the first 11 verses. First Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This far, the reading of Scripture. And our focus this evening will be on those, the first six verses there. And dear congregation, when David came to the camp of the Israelites when they were ready to fight the Philistines and they heard the giant Goliath as he came out to fight them, David, he wanted to go fight Goliath because he heard him curse the name of his Lord. And so when King Saul heard about it, he said David needed the proper armor. He needed to be armed with the right equipment to go into this battle. And Saul, being a seasoned soldier, he knew what, what he needed, what was required to go and fight the Philistines. And so whenever you fight a battle, you need the proper equipment. And so Saul gave David his own armor and his sword. But David couldn't use it. It was too big for him, it didn't fit, and he didn't know how. He hadn't tested it, he said. So it was not suitable for him to, go to use it. So David went into that battle with all that he had, which was a sling and a few stones. But really, he had something else as well. Because he told Goliath that, he said, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David came with a mind and heart prepared for battle. He came with a, his mind armed. 
and the physical weapons was only secondary to him. So he went armed in his mind, knowing that God is with him. He came armed with the knowledge that God had helped him in the past. It helped him fight against the lion and the bear. And he came armed with the knowledge, knowing that God had equipped him and taught him how to use the sling. And so David knew that he could overcome this enemy with all that God had given him. And here in 1 Peter, David, or sorry, Peter uses this military term, and he calls us to arm yourselves with the same mind as Christ. Just like David, your heart and your mind need to be armed for the battle that you will face in the Christian life. We must understand what we will expect in this world, what we as Christians will face in this world, so we won't be surprised, so we won't be scared off. And the first step, then, is to prepare our mind, because really we can have the best equipment. David was given the king's armor and the king's sword. It would have been the highest quality and the best possible, but he did not know how to use it. You can have the best doctrines. You can have the best apologetics. You can have the best evangelistic strategies. But if your mind is not prepared to use them, they will hinder you instead of help you. First, our minds must be armed with the mind of Christ. And so our theme this afternoon is arm yourself for suffering. Because here Peter is continuing his theme to teach about the suffering that you will face because of how Christians ought to live in this world. He says in, in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And these first six verses that we want to focus on today really focus on living for God, living for God by putting sin to death, and the, the verses 7 through 11 really focus on living for God more in a positive aspect of the things we do in life. And so our first thought this evening then is, Peter calls us to arm our mind by remembering Christ. Arm our mind by remembering Christ. Because he begins by pointing us out, or pointing out the captain of our salvation. Christ also, or since Christ suffered for us, He's our commander-in-chief, you could say, the one with supreme authority over his, over his army. He's the one who leads you into this battle and directs you. And he also says, you will suffer a persecution. And here Peter is pointing us back to chapter 3 and verse, eight, verse 18, that Christ also suffered for sin in his body and soul, the holy one, the just one for unjust. And he says, you will also suffer in the flesh as a Christian. So arm yourselves with the same mind that Christ had. Follow the example of Christ, he says in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, understand the purpose of why Christ died in chapter 3, verse 18. And so arm yourselves with the same mind, with the same attitude that Christ had. In, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says to the church, all of you be of one mind. 
And that's where he described what the attitude of Christ was, the attitude that Christ gives to his people. And we, just, we saw that a few weeks back. And so as Christ also patiently took up his cross, and for the joy that was set before him, he also calls Christians to patiently and faithfully take up their cross in this world for the joy that is set before you. And so we must understand that even though we might face physical suffering in this world, it is ultimately a spiritual battle that we face. Jesus said that if his kingdom was of this world, he would call his soldiers to fight for him. The nations of this world are fighting with each other even today and in various parts because their kingdom is of this world, and so they fight here, but God's kingdom is not physical. And David, he also understood this. He knew that when he was coming to fight, it wasn't just a physical battle with a giant called Goliath. It was not just a battle between the two armies of the Philistines and the Israelites. But David went in the strength of the Lord because the name of his God had been defied. And so what are we to be armed for? It is for suffering in the flesh. And what are to be armed with? It's the mind of Christ. So that we'll be able to respond with the attitude and the actions that Christ displayed. So that we, we need to be armed with the right mind so that we don't use the physical tactics as we fight in this world. That we do not fight out of a sinful reactions of our own hearts. The natural responses, as he says, repaying evil for evil. And that we do not depend on our own flesh or on our own strength or on Saul's armor that the world might give you, the armor of the world. Because you know what happened to the Israelites standing there. Every time they heard a giant yelling and cursing their God, none of the Israelites dared to go. They trembled and they pulled back. And then we also won't dare approach the enemy. If we're afraid of suffering, if we don't trust God to give us the victory through that suffering, and then we will not dare enter the battle either. We won't dare face this world. And so we, we saw earlier in, in chapter 3, verse 15, that we need to be prepared, understanding who the Almighty God is. That we are to sanctify this God in our heart, that He must be the first and the, the preeminent one in our hearts. And it's Him that says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of those who can even kill your body. And David knew the presence of God in fighting the lion and the bear, and he knew that he would be there fighting Goliath, and even when he had to flee from Saul. So then secondly, we need to be armed with the understanding of what we will face, of what we can expect is going to happen, armed in our mind, of realizing what will happen. Because why do we face suffering in this world? Well, if you're enlisted in the armies of God, you're sent into battle. There, there's no middle ground in this world. Either you belong to God and His armies, or you belong to Satan and his armies. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. I don't think we want to believe that. But why? In verse 1b, says, For 
For because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He begins here. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you've ceased from sin, when you by grace have broken from the life of sin, you're, you're done with sin. It means you no longer live to pursue the desires of the flesh in this world, that you no longer pursue the sinful cravings of your, your heart that you might have done before, but now you live for the will of God, Peter says. And see, Peter is comparing Christ's suffering with the believer's suffering. There's a parallelism here. Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Now we, the believers who suffer, who has suffered in the flesh, Peter explained in chapter 2, verse 24, that Christ suffered for our sins when He bore our sins in His body on the tree. And he says there, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And so when we're saved by Christ through His death on the cross, we are dead to sin, ceased from sin. Now, you can no longer continue to live in your sin because God is the one who has broken the dominion, the power of that sin in your life. And even though a Christian is not sin-free altogether, that life of sanctification, that, that renewal by His Holy Spirit begins. And there's a, there's a battle that begins in the heart, in the, in the life. And so what does that mean to suffer? Is suffering supposed to break our sin? No. Christ has broken that sin. Christ has broken the power of sin by His Holy Spirit. And He's the one who works to root it out through faith. But believers suffer as a result of breaking with sin. Because there's a big battle that begins there in the soul, in the mind, when sin is to be put to death. There's an inner conflict, first of all, fighting against our sins, fighting against the temptations of the heart and of the world, all what rises up within us, yet that indwelling sin. You suffer continual attacks from those indwelling sins, your own sinful cravings that still arise. You suffer from Satan who seeks to tempt you to go back to sins. You suffer from the world that Satan uses to lure you away from God. And Peter speaks, of, or Paul speaks of cutting off sin, putting sin to death. And that's difficult. Jesus used the analogy of if, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. There, there's a, a cutting off your right hand is not possible for us to do. It's, it's just so repulsive and so it is. Even the, their own sinful inclinations of the heart is like cutting off a part of who you were. It's, it's difficult. It's painful. But then thirdly, armed with the understanding of what it is then to live for Christ, how is a Christian now to live to the will of God, he says, how, understand how we are to live for Christ. Because one part of living for the will of God involves that putting sin to death, cutting off sin, first of all, in our mind. The result is that we no longer live to pursue our sinful desires. No longer live for self, but for God. Armed with the mind of Christ. And that fighting against sin begins in our mind as we know it. 
understanding what sin is, resisting sin in our thoughts, in our desires, no longer entertaining those thoughts, those wild fantasies, those secret desires, those elaborate dreams, covetousness, or lusts, or adulteries, no longer living for this world and what it has to offer, but now for God. Because when Christ begins to work in your life, you begin to see how much of your life you've already lived for yourself, pursuing the emptiness of this world. And Peter says in, in verse 3, you've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. He said earlier in chapter 1, verse 18, you were living in the empty way of the life that was handed down from your father. You, you just did what was natural to all sinful human people. You pursued what this world had to offer. You lived apart from God, but you've lost enough time in this world seeking sin. And the Bible calls it the years that the locusts have eaten. When the locust plague comes through, they eat all the crop, and there's nothing left, no harvest, no, no fruit. So it is in our life, no fruit to God, empty, no crop. You're unprofitable to God. Rather, you worked in the service of this world. So you could say you built your house on the wrong foundation. Now you've got to start over. And now, when Christ shows that to our hearts, we we realize that now we need to serve God with, with even a greater zeal that we, than we serve the world. And sometimes you see that, that people who have been turned from the world later in life and pursue their, their, their mission, they have such a missionary zeal, they, they now serve the Lord with all their might. But now you understand that by the, that by the grace of God, you've, been, you've broken from that old life. Paul says, such were some of you. You were caught up in all those sins, but now you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified, and now you walk with that renewed life. And so he says, now then be armed with that mind of Christ, that mind to resist those temptations, to resist those peer pressures, to resist the worldly entertainment that's beckoning you to come. You've spent enough time there before. But here I also need to stop for a moment because there are also those who are still living there, those who are still giving your life wholly to this world and not to Christ. Some of you who do not want to leave this world because you enjoy that too much, still enlisted in the, in the armies of darkness rather than the Lord's army, not yet being delivered from your sin. Now is the time to turn to the Lord and to, to give it over to Him. If you know you cannot let go and know, well, don't want to let go, then tell the Lord who breaks the power of your sin that He would draw you to Himself. But we also need to be careful that we do not just clean up the outside of our life, as Peter said earlier too. Not just to continue with the same types of sins in our hearts that just express themselves in different ways. New sins replace old ones. Same old desires just expressed in more acceptable ways. But we need to die to sin in Christ. 
to live for Christ in a new life. And so Peter says, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. And why is that? Why in the mind? Well, because the sins of the old life really numb the mind. It numbs the life of your mind. Your, sin, your, your, your mind is drawn away from God. All those lusts, all those desires, all those imaginations blur the reality of God. They hide the reality of God. And they fill it with all pleasant thoughts. But we must have a clear and a sober mind. He says, resist even the appearance of evil. Anything that could draw our mind away or cloud our mind in any way from serving God. And that's where Peter here, he begins listing some of the sins that you may have walked in in the past. He begins with lewdness or debauchery, living unbridled, unrestrained indulgence in lust or lawlessness. This, this really is a disregard for any law or any restraint. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, is seeing what happens at, at some of the Halloween parties. That, that seems to be a time of year when people let everything go and they come out. The worst of their imaginations are expressed in evenings like that. Go beyond the limits set out to do as wickedly as you can. Not a place for Christians to be. But then there's lusts, Peter says. Immorality or evil desires, evil cravings to fulfill the desires of the human heart. Those lusts, they cloud the minds. How often do we hear that it even makes people use religion to fulfill their lusts? Think of Eli's sons, the priest, using the office of the priesthood to fill their belly with the meat that they stole from the people and to fill their heart's cravings with the women who came to worship God. These lusts, they, they cloud our minds to corrupt our actions, to fulfill the desires of our hearts. You see how it begins in the mind? Drunkenness, overflowing with mind, as Peter says, overflowing with wine. Often alcohol is such a tolerated evil. There's nothing wrong with a drink, no, but it can easily be hidden craving even in a Christian. Then he moves on to revelries or orgies, parties where there's overeating and overdrinking, which leads often to immoral behaviors. It's defined, this is defined as drunken behavior often in the dark, where, where they walk around with torches and, and music in and, and the honor of some idols. That's how it's defined in, in this culture, in, in the Bible, but it's not much different today, is it? The drinking, the music, the evil behavior that's prevalent around our cities and nightclubs and wherever. Then he says drinking parties and carousing, all easily leading to excess and sinful behavior. And so here you can see that Peter is drawing out a pattern it leads from one to the next, and it all focus on mind-altering substances. Uh, now we can think of alcohol and, and, and drugs. He, Peter says, arm your mind. You cannot fight a spiritual battle if your mind is inhibited, if it's clouded. Be not drunk with wine, Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. Arm your mind with soberness. 
You cannot serve God if you're intoxicating your mind, numbing your mind with alcohol or marijuana or any kinds of drugs. Put sin to death and it begins in the mind and what you do to it. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yes, sometimes he might devour you with lion's teeth, but other times he'll devour you, putting you to sleep, so that you're not awake when the Lord comes in judgment. Abominable idolatries and detestable idolatry, he says, worshiping the creature instead of the Creator. Violating the most basic law to love the, God, the, the Lord your God above all, the one holy God. And if we leave the first commandment, we leave them all. And it leads to a life of transgression in every point. It begins in the mind. But then fourthly, be armed, understanding how the world will react to you, to the Christian, understanding how the world will react. And not be easy to walk the new path. So we need to be armed to recognize how they will react, behave towards you as, as, as a Christian, especially as a new Christian. Peter says in regards to these in verse 4, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil, of you. Because suffering, it includes ridicule and slander. The world thinks it strange that Christians do not participate in these kind of parties and behaviors. They consider Christians to be outsiders, out of step with the world, and they might say, hey, get with the times, live it up. You can think of some workplaces, work parties, or Christmas work parties where the behaviors of bosses and, and employees becomes despicable. Christians don't belong in those kind of places. And you say, well, I can't go there. And, and they laugh you to scorn and say, why not? Aren't you part of this place? The world is shocked. They don't participate. They mock if, if you don't watch TV or, to, or, or, or play video games or movies that are filled with murder and adultery and hatred and idolatry, if you don't work on Sunday, if you don't play sports on Sunday, if you don't wander the streets at night aimlessly and getting into all sorts of trouble, even friends do it at a young age, right? They, they mock their friends if they don't want to participate in doing something wrong. It begins... The, the heart, the natural heart, expresses itself from the youngest age. Or maybe they make fun of them and say, why don't you just smoke it? it, it it's allowed. It, it won't do anything to you. Here, just have uh, some marijuana or this drink. But no. You don't run with them. Literally, it says you don't plunge with them. It's like buffaloes going over a cliff. In Alberta, they, they have the head smash in buffalo jump where the natives would round up the buffaloes and they'd channel them to a place and a whole herd would go plummeting off the edge of the cliff. And that's the picture here. All the people are being channeled by their lusts and by their desires as one big herd, they plunge off the cliff. And it says, you don't run with them. You don't plunge with them into the same flood the flame, same flood of dissipation. This is the image of a volcano just bursting out a big flood. 
But because you don't, but because you put these sins to death in your life, they speak evil of you. They slander you. They heap up abuse against you. They mock you. You ever feel that? You ever experience that, even children in this world? Maybe someone who was once your best friend now slanders you and speaks evil of you. Turn around and stab you in the back. Arm your minds. Because Christ said they hated him first. And they will also hate you. Slander comes not because we choose suffering. And as Peter said earlier, we don't, we don't, we're not slandered for doing evil because you're not supposed to do evil. But you're slandered because you choose God and His law. That distinguishes you from this world. Strangers and pilgrims, Peter calls you. Persecuted. The world wonders how we can live so differently. And it mocks you. They don't understand why we have to hold to a biblical morality, a biblical definition of male and female in marriage, of love and of purity, of holiness. Armed understanding what you will face in university, in schools, in work. But then fifthly, armed with the understanding of the eternal perspective, armed with the eternal perspective. Now you suffer because you are being judged by the world. But God gives you life. What is your perspective on life? And Peter here he encourages the persecuted Christians, reminding them that one day all their enemies will face judgment by God. They will give an account to him, verse 5, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We confessed that in our confession earlier. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And Peter said in chapter 1, verse 5, your salvation will be revealed on that day. It will be revealed what God is in store, what God has reserved in heaven for you. When you face God, after a life of slander and abuse in this world, a life of putting sin to death, God will reveal the glory that He has in store for His people. But for those who persecute His people, their judgment will be revealed on that day. Their judgment from a holy God, and they must give an account, Peter says. It means they'll face Him in judgment, and that's an accounting term, give an account. They must show now how they can stand before God's holy law with their sins, with the record of their sin. How can they pay that off? How can they stand before Him? How can they stand before a holy God without a mediator, without the Lord Jesus Christ? But then Peter says in verse 6, For this reason the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. While you are on this earth, believers are judged by the world, judged as being out of touch with the world, judged as not living according to the flood of evil. You're going the wrong way, they say. You're not on the broad way that leads to destruction, but you're on the narrow path. 
And because you're being judged by the world as not fitting in with the mold of this world, you receive the slander and the abuse and the martyrdom and the persecution. You're under the judgment of this world. And the world executes its judgment against the believers by slandering you, by imprisoning you, by crucifying you, by burning you at the stake, from banning you from entering their places. Or like on Wednesday night, last Wednesday, a 26-year-old preacher was shot in the head. I don't know exactly if it was because he was preaching, or, but he was being slandered. He was being cursed for preaching there on a busy street in, in Phoenix. You're being judged according to men in the flesh. And the result of their judgment is that now you suffer. Be armed in your mind for this. Be armed in your mind with the mind of Christ to take up your cross in this world now to deny yourself for the joy that is set before you. Expect this to happen. And the world considers it a just judgment that Christians will suffer for not walking in the way of the world. You can think of Vanity Fair and Pilgrim's Progress, not participating in the ways of the world. But then alternately, alternatively, you live according to God in the Spirit, Peter says. You're taught by the preaching of the gospel that He applies to your heart by His Spirit. You hear the preaching. You understand the way of God. Like Asaph says in Psalm 74, that when he went to the house, into the house of God, then he was reminded of the end of the wicked. Then he sees the difference. There God comforts your heart through your suffering even. He says you will live. You live now. You live now here by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, even though you suffer in this world. And you will live forever in glory. You will be glorified with Christ while the wicked will be condemned forever for their sin. But you will live according to God in the Spirit. And so Peter says you are armed with the understanding of what you will face, both in your heart and in this world, and why we face it, but especially what the end will be. Deliverance. Deliverance from it all in the glory of God forever, eternally with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the captain of your salvation, who is the head of His church, who is now in earth, and He will take all His people to be with Him one day forever. Then that salvation will be revealed on that day, the same day that the wicked will be, have their judgment revealed from God. May your hope and joy be found in God alone, Amen.